Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 5. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Every week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in NYC. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Happy Tuesday, New York. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI, a socialist radio show and podcast from members of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. The Democratic Socialists of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States with 56,000 members nationwide, and New York City DSA is its biggest chapter. Today, uh, we'll be talking about political education. You know, it's the foundation of every activist toolkit. And so today we'll explore some ways that New York City DSA is reaching out to make understanding of the history of our nation, of our economy, and the, the collective struggle um, more accessible across the city. You know, what is the foundation of the work that we're doing? Um, but first, we have the headlines. This is Kyle Sorrell with the headlines, brought to you by The Thorn. Last week, Politico wrote about NYC DSA's rank-and-file strategy to push the city's unions to the left. One of the most conservative and Cuomo-aligned unions in the city, the Hotel Trades Council, is believed to have recently ordered its staffers to spy on New York City DSA chapter meetings. Despite the fact that rank-and-file is a strategy used by the left for generations and discussed at length at DSA's national convention, union bureaucrats were apparently surprised that its members aimed to support more progressive and pro-worker union building. This past Monday, Gregory Rust began his tenure as NYCHA chairperson. Formerly head of Minneapolis's Public Housing Authority, Rust has faced criticism for embracing the controversial federal RAD program, which allows private nonprofit developers to control public housing units through funding for repairs. Rust replaces former NYCHA chairperson Shola Olatoye, who resigned in April following a lead paint inspection scandal. Rust will be paid an annual salary of over $400,000 a 73% increase from his predecessors. Last Monday, Governor Andrew Cuomo signed legislation that will expand workplace harassment protections in New York State. It removes the standard that harassment be, quote-unquote, severe and pervasive in order to be legally actionable. The new laws also require all employment contract non-disclosure agreements to allow employees to file complaints of sexual harassment or discrimination and extends the statute of limitations to file sexual harassment claims with the Division of Human Rights from one to three years. Thousands of renters are owed back payments after New York's highest court ruled that because the landlords reaped millions of dollars in tax benefits under a 1995 program, their tenants should have had stabilized leases. The program was meant to enable lower and moderate income residents to live in lower Manhattan by incentivizing developers to convert office buildings into residences and reserve some units as quote-unquote affordable. Some members of the Progressive Coalition that supported Tiffany Caban are looking to challenge district leader incumbencies in Queens in 2020. The Queens Democratic Party is one of the most hierarchical party organizations in the city, with relatively little turnover among its elites. Quote, this project is not about what decisions are made by county and not about who is making the decisions. It is about how they are being made, Bright Lim, a longtime Queens organizer, said. Until the process is made truly democratic, the who and what are going to change, and we're going to always be fighting one battle at a time. If we change how the decisions are made, we will have transformation, he said. Politico also reported on the Brooklyn DSA Electoral Working Group's plans to contest 2020 state legislative primaries. 
Votes are being held next month on whether or not to endorse in almost 10 different Senate and Assembly districts. Find your local branch to get involved in this exciting process. That's it for the headlines. Back to you, Lee. Our daily headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by New York City DSA Electoral Working Group covering local politics and radical activism. You can subscribe at thethorn.nyc. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI. I am Lee Zishi. I use she, her pronoun. And today we're talking about political education and what that means uh, for the NYC DSA chapter. Um, We are joined by (coughs) Ava Sotomayor of the North Brooklyn Political Education Working Group, Benjamin Kodachek of the North Brooklyn Political Education Working Group, and an active member of almost every New York City DSA reading group, Jeremy Cohen. Um, so um, I, let's start with you, Eva. Um, can you talk a little bit? I like to really just start with people like, how did you get into DSA and democratic socialism? Um, sure. So I um, got into DSA right after uh, the Trump inauguration. I was in grad school at the time, and um, it was a lot of reading about how the world was messed up. And I was like thinking, like, well, I should probably join and do something about why the world is messed up. Um, so I got involved. Um, Oh, okay, sorry. (laughs) Um, And um, so I got involved right after the inauguration and um, I originally started working with the Immigration Justice Working Group and then eventually got involved with the North Brooklyn Political Education. And what about you, Ben? Uh, It took me a while after the election to realize that DSA was the place that uh, real political transformation uh, was potentially taking place. Uh, A lot of my friends were getting involved and I had started um, doing a lot of uh, design work and uh, reading on my own and with various groups before that, but uh, I decided to move those uh, skills and abilities to DSA uh, around maybe the summer after Trump was elected. And how about you, Jeremy? Uh, So first of all, full disclosure, I'm also in the North Brooklyn political education uh, working group. Rolling deep uh, today. Yeah, so this is North Brooklyn represent. And maybe we can talk a little bit about North Brooklyn's, uh, yeah, being really developed um, as a chapter, I think, in that regard, or as a branch, um, though we're all in general working together in political education in New York City. Anyways, um, so... How I got involved with DSA, I've been a socialist for a long time, been around various groups on the left, been involved in Occupy Wall Street, was an academic, so studying how horrible capitalism is, but definitely, you know, just wasn't part of a group. A lot of the groups didn't seem right. And then uh, I was both, you know, 2016 was such a big year. I was both inspired by Bernie Sanders and what he had shown was possible, that socialism was not this kind of little club that uh, me and a few friends belonged to, but actually it was like a politics that spoke to ordinary working people all across this country and also elsewhere in the world. So that definitely changed my sense of what was possible. And then when Trump won, uh, it changed my sense of kind of how urgent things were and how crazy and horrible things could get. So that that weekend, I remember I was at whatever was at a conference and I texted like an old friend of mine 
um, who we'd been both socialists for a long time. And I was like, I think we need to join an organization again. He was like, yep. And I was like, I think it's got to be the DSA. And he's like, yep. <laughs> and I joined uh, shortly thereafter. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people that we have on the show, people who are now, you know, like neck deep in organizing, you know, joined, I think, around the similar time. And I think a lot of people like recognize that capitalism is the problem. And at least like for me, like that was my first step. And then I eventually was like, OK, well, like DSA is the group that I see doing the work. But like actually understanding like, OK, what does it mean to be a democratic socialist and what's the history of it? So I think that's really exciting that that's what you know, the political education working group is working on. And I'm actually really excited about this episode that we can really kind of dig more into that and just kind of start peeling back some of those layers because people have heard a lot of these terms. Um, but yeah, it's exciting that you're all doing doing the education work of organizing. Um, so Ava, let's talk a little bit first. Um, you're a member of a couple caucuses within DSA. Um, can you tell us what those are and just kind of then how the political education working group, what kind of work do you do with caucuses across DSA? Sure. Um, so I would say the main caucus right now that I'm doing um, political education group is the DSA um, Boricua Socialist Caucus. Um, it started very informally as kind of a Twitter DM with um, a bunch of Puerto Rican um, uh, comrades um, across all the U.S. Um, kind of talking about, you know, just how socialism could be applied to, you know, uh, to the Caribbean and the history and how for many of us learning about this history and like the Caribbean and Latin America radicalized us. So it started out as like the kind of like this little DM that kind of turned into a formal group and we actually had our first meetup um, at the convention in Atlanta and we had people from like Portland, Oregon to people in like city council in Chicago, which was really amazing. Um, so we, two of our members um, put forth the re like the decolonization resolution that passed at convention. Um, so uh, it, it says that DSA, you know, stands in solidarity with a decol the decol I'm sorry, uh, decolonizing um, Puerto Rico, Hawaii, Guam, and um, giving all these territories like the right to self determination. So now, as part, I know like decolonization is like such a big word. So right now we are working on how we can make that, um, you know, like. Get, bring this theory back to our chapters, to our locals. How do we inform people about the history of Puerto Rico, the Caribbean, and like other colonized countries? Like, how do we unlearn things that we learned in school um, about the U.S. and about empire? So that's a really uh, cool project that has is in the beginning stages, but I am very excited about. Um, and um, I will talk about night school a little bit later, but um, we're having a session on that, which I'm really excited to also um, bring to North Brooklyn. And why is like learning that history, you know, the history of Puerto Rico and the history of colonization, you know, how is that important kind of for like understanding decolonization and then the work that these you know, different caucuses are doing. Sure. Um, so I, I was personally radicalized kind of in in around middle school when I learned, like I read um, excerpts from like the open veins of Latin America by Eduardo Galeano. And I kind of learned like how it differed from like what was being told about my history book and how um, U.S. intervention had, you know, um, affected all these countries, you know, and we're, we're talking about how socialism doesn't work. But if you look at the, you know, if you have the CIA, like, taking down dictators like of course it's not gonna work um so um and also just like unlearning you know so much of like what was about the, and the you know, like the narrative that was shown to me in school and then reading those alongside kind of 
just helped me like open my eyes and be like, oh, well, there's maybe, maybe there's something to be challenge about like all of these um, of what, what I'm learning in school. So I think it's important. We've been talking about how, you know, being Puerto Rican, we're still it's like a continual process and also you know like sharing that with our comrades it's important because we can't you know fully fight for something if you don't know the history of what you're fighting for yeah I once was at a like a conference where I heard some really great advice from an indigenous man and he was just talking about how all of our minds are colonized you know in different levels of that and just like accepting that like oh there's certain ways that I've been taught to think about things and that's actually colonization yeah um, so if there are people that are maybe interested um, in, in the history of this are there any things that you recommend that people read you mentioned some of the stuff that you read early um, yeah, so I mean, uh, Open Veins of Latin America by Eduardo Galeano, I think it's a book that I recommend to everyone, and I think if you talk to me for about 10 minutes, I will probably recommend that you read it, even if it's like the introduction, it's just like this amazing um, overview. Um, I think uh, Nugugi Waithiongo's Decolonizing the Mind is a little bit more academic, um, but it's a really, really good intro that has also kind of talk, talks about a little bit about how you learn how like we are colonized and like how language also goes along with it. Um, and then Amy Cesar's um, discourse, on con- dis- discourse on Decolonization is also a big one that I would recommend. And like, what's kind of been the response when you like bring up, you know, just even this term decolonization and, and learning about the history? You know, how have people in DSA responded to this kind of education that you're you're bringing to the table? Um. So yeah. So it's definitely like new. Um. A lot of people kind of are not scared, but they like. It sounds like a very academic term, um, and it originated in academia. Um. So I guess um a lot of people are like, oh, but isn't that you know like really are we gonna it does not sound like really academic-y, but I feel like the response that I've gotten so far has been um, really positive and people are really want to learn about these histories. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to continue doing that moving forward. Yeah, thanks so much for that work. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com or sign up for our newsletter, and you can always find us on Twitter at NYCRPM. I'm Lee Zishi. I use she, her pronouns, and today we're talking about political education, you know, the history behind, you know, we talk about organizing a lot on this show, but there's a lot of history and education that goes into that. Um, So, Ben, I want to talk a little bit about something called DSA Night School. What is DSA Night School? Uh, Sure. So... Night School is a project that is running in North Brooklyn. Currently, uh, we're on hiatus, but uh, we just completed a year. It has uh, predecessors in Philadelphia and in Central Brooklyn, uh, where this project was uh, started first. Although the original beginnings of Night School, I believe, started with a day school that Jeremy helped organize years back and then some Philadelphia people came to and thought was cool and wanted to make into a year-long course. So it's kind of a a feedback loop of uh, political education across different um, areas of uh, different chapters. Um, So yeah, Night School is a year-long course. We try to connect up the theory and history of socialism with the practice that DSA activists are doing on a daily basis, and we cover all sorts of introductory topics uh, on economics and politics, but more specifically, 
as well on um, issues that are related to the campaigns we're working on. So uh, Green New Deal or um, uh, health care or um, elections, uh, et cetera. Um, and yeah, we just try to make them as accessible as possible, but also um, enough, su and, uh, substantial enough so that uh, members can gain a deeper perspective on what um, they're fighting for and how to do it. Jeremy, maybe could you tell us a little bit about this first day school and how that went and why you felt kind of it was necessary to do something like that? Sure. Uh, this goes back to the old days of 2016, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> it feels like ancient history in DSA now. But um, so it was when there was just one Brooklyn branch and there was a political education committee and we were, you know, it was a time where DSA had grown so much so fast and just the political education group was trying to coordinate um, a million things. And just, you know, as we were starting so many new projects, we kind of saw our mission as being in part a place where people who were involved in a whole bunch of different activities could come together and talk about, okay, what, you know, what, what are our core beliefs as socialists? Like what, um, so I'm working on Green New Deal and you're working on immigration justice and you're working on um, housing. And so, but w kind of where do we come all together? So we saw political education to some degree as, as that. And also w what I think we've all been talking about here, like trying to bring the history to bear, the things that, you know, you don't learn when you're canvassing. You learn a lot when you're canvassing, probably most things you need to know as a socialist. But there are things like just what happened to Salvador Allende that you just really, you need to learn. You need to come together. You need to study. And, uh, and the left has always been characterized by a vibrant culture of debate and learning and discussion. So, um, one, our probably biggest project as that group, as the Brooklyn Wide thing, was a day school that was on sort of like the history of the left in America. So we had like a, a night program on the old left of the 30s. Um, we had a day program on the uh, the new left, the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, especially in the women's movement. And then we had a, a an afternoon program on like the 70s and kind of what happened to the left. <laughs> and, uh, and then a, a a panel at the end of the day that you know DSA people people would recognize Bianca Cunningham and um, and I'm trying to remember who else was on it others um, appeared on to talk about kind of contemporary issues on the left coming out of Occupy and Black Lives Matter the movements and kind of DSA um, so yeah so that was a day long programming and and we started you know trying to produce some literature like I co-wrote a pamphlet on uh, gay liberation queer socialism. Um, I always forget what the title is. It's something like uh, queer, queer Socialism, Not Rainbow Capitalism, something like that. Um, and uh, so I co-wrote that pamphlet with uh, Ben Serby from South Brooklyn. And so, yeah, that was sort of the beginning. And then when the branches broke up, uh, each of the branches has been kind of developing its own political education culture that comes out of particular needs of the branch, but as much as possible trying to also share resources. And so, as Ben said, you know, Central Brooklyn, um, had started their night school and they went only for eight weeks and then we kind of piggybacked and started ours. Yeah, so Ben, um, recently night school just had a graduation. You know, what was kind of the measure of success for the graduates? Um, so for the graduates or the program itself? Well, I mean, you can talk about both, really. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think... I've never seen political education events as large as our night school events. We had regularly, uh, at max, a number of sessions that had around 60 people. Our smallest, I think, was around 20. Um, usually it was somewhere in between. And 
there were a number of people who stuck with night school and came to many sessions. Um, a number of people whose first interaction with DSA or socialism was through night school, and a number of those people went on to be more active in the organization uh, afterwards. So I think those are measures of success that I feel uh, proud of. And are there, you're saying that this session just ended. Are there chances that night school will start back up again? Yeah, we're already uh, developing the next year. It's going to start in about a month. And um, hopefully uh, more people will come, new people. Uh, the syllabus is going to be improved. It's going to be broken up into different quarters this time to give people a little bit of um, structure. And uh, we've learned a lot of things from last year. We're going to try some new things. And uh, I think it'll be a, a good program. If people are interested in attending, what's the best way for them to find out about it? Uh, yeah, so you can email, um, I guess you could email me at, uh, my last name is kind of difficult to spell, but it's um, B-K-O-D-I-T-S-C-H-E-K at gmail.com. Uh, and I'll connect you up with uh, the North Brooklyn Night School. Awesome. And you guys have kind of, you know, talked about this a lot, but, you know, the curriculum of the North Brooklyn um, Night School is incredibly expansive. It covers topics from Marxist economics, mass incarceration, um, the affordable housing crisis, the history of the labor movement, the history of other unionist movements. It goes on and on and on. Um, I don't know, Jeremy, if you want to take this question or Ben, but what is sort of like the guiding lens through which you tackle, you know, each of the topics every week? Um, I think... Yeah, that's an interesting question, actually. Uh, I think one way is like we try to pair kind of a more theoretical reading, like a reading that's going deeper into an analysis of like why things are the way they are. So like if we're reading about, you know, healthcare, like organizing around healthcare, it's like, well, what is the actual structure of the American healthcare system? And can we, can activists become more articulate in being able to say like how it's structured the way it is, how it came to be that way? And, you know, a little more than just like, we all think it sucks and we want to change it, which is the fundamental. But then it's, it's kind of the more analytical stuff. So I think we usually try to have a more theoretical piece that gives that analysis and then you know something that ties that closely to our campaigns where we get to discuss you know how does this affect how we think strategically about things um, I think where possible we've tried to include also like debates on the left about uh, various issues about um, uh, you know what's next so like in the housing one we kind of talked about universal rent control and social housing and, you know, public housing and what's the relationship between the two and what are we pushing for and are we, is it both and what's within the short-term horizon, what's within the long-term horizon. And those are the kinds of things that I feel like, you know, are not questions you have when you're canvassing uh, generally because you're, you're involved really deeply in a campaign, but they're questions that we as DSAers want to be asking kind of all the time and, and empowering as many of our members to ask as much as possible because then they too feel more confident when they go to the doors about like the issues and why they think a certain campaign is the right campaign and also like more empowered to think more broadly about what comes next when we finish a campaign like we just I mean amazingly did with universal rent control right so these questions all become suddenly like more relevant like oh what's next yeah you kind of just like touched on it a little bit about you know how this knowledge 
then kind of relates to like the actual organizing, the door knocking. But, you know, how important do you think it is to have this kind of background? Because I feel like that's something like I'm missing right now. Like I know, like, okay, like I got into this because I do work, you know, with fossil fuels and I could see how capitalism was destroying people's lives. And then, you know, it was like, oh, well, the people that are like actually like out in the streets, you know, supporting people doing work against Dakota Access are the or DSA and stuff. But I don't feel like I and, you know, like oh, they're doing the work. So that for me was enough. But I don't feel like, you know, I have necessarily all that historical background. You know, how does you're talking about how this empowers people like how do these things go hand in hand? I mean, I think the main way to judge the left is like who's doing the work, because it's definitely true that for too long the left had a, you know, were just study groups on college campuses. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I thank the lucky stars that I'm able to be part of a left that's not just that um, in the United States. Uh, I do think that you know, again, the, the the socialist movement in history has always had this kind of really deep, vibrant culture of discussion, you know, newspapers, mass circulation newspapers, theoretical journals, like a, a whole kind of top to bottom culture of learning and discussion debate. And I do, I think that in part distinguishes us from like mainstream politics. Like there's this great, in one of the New York Times stories on the DSA, it was like a year ago or something, they were interviewing someone, I think it was maybe from East Bay. And and she was talking about how, like, well, I got involved in activism, and at first I was kind of hanging around, like, progressives and the Democratic Party, and then I became involved in DSA. And one of the things I like so much about DSA is I went to, like, I went to, you know, socialist study groups, and I learned, like, what do we stand for? And you can't do that in the Democratic Party. Like, you don't, like, you know, there's a kind of just maybe shared set of underground assumptions, but we don't really have these discussions or debates. Um, yeah, so I want to add something onto that, and I, I think it's... It feels good to have knowledge, of course, but I think um, knowing something about the history of socialism, how capitalism works, and how socialism has failed in uh, many cases previously gives us a better idea about how to go about our practical activity. So when we're in committees trying to figure out what our campaigns are going to be trying to achieve and how we're trying to achieve them, we have this resource of history and theory to draw upon in making our decisions that probably, hopefully, will let us uh, do things better than our predecessors have. Yeah, and so like definitely one of the very theoretical parts of that and kind of, you know, the beginning history, a lot of this, um, you know, you had a discussion about Marx and capital. um, So, you know, that's taking something that seems very complicated. And, you know, how do you, one, like break those kind of things down for people? Um, I understand you read, you know, an excerpt from Wage, um, Labor and Capital. So like, how do you choose like what excerpts to like focus on and then how do you kind of break down these really theoretical (laughs) (laughs) subjects you know like that sounds like a whole class you know I'm sure there's whole courses being taught on that and so how do you kind of do it you know in these couple hour sessions with 60 people in the room (laughs) I mean we were I guess a few things like we were really blessed with amazing uh, speakers and facilitators. So one of the things we did early on was do a call out to people to kind of open up the sessions. And then like generally the sessions went, we would have kind of an opening um, lecture, mini lecture kind of talk. And then there would be some Q&A and then we would do breakout groups where people in smaller groups would get to discuss the readings, discuss the issues. And then we'd come back together at the end. It went in and out of that format over time, but it was the general format. And I think, so most of, you know, many of our uh, our 
leading um, teachers were just really good at doing that breakdown. Um, and we, you know, I think in, in talking to people and training them, I think the big idea is like taking complex ideas and making them as sort of um, easy to follow as possible for anyone who wants to participate. Like we want the sessions to be, you know, serious but accessible. Um, and so, you know, for something like Marx's economics, wage labor and capital actually, interestingly, is a great text to read because it already was a set of lectures that Marx did for working class audience. Um, so they're not, you know, capital volume one, which is, I mean, I think, you know, they say it was like the Bible, the working class, lots of working class people read it, who knows. But, um, <laughs> it, you know, it, it's it's not impossible to read, but it is, it's a big book. It takes more time. It's more of an investment um, of your whole mental effort. I think um, wage labor and capital is a much simpler introduction so that's part of I think why that was chosen and then like um the the person who chose that Niall Reddy like he sort of just gave a great lecture just breaking down some of the basics you know okay there's exploitation um the dynamism of capitalism and technological innovation and the um the continuing conflict of interests between workers and capitalists and and then connecting those three ideas trying to show how they work their way throughout Marxist thought but then you know, come to contemporary society, how these are really characteristic of the system. Yeah, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, but you know, if this is something people are interested in, they're a new reader, like, how do you recommend they go about tackling that subject? <laughs> yeah, this is this is always like the 64. I mean, going to political education, I think is part of it, honestly, um, that ideally, that's kind of what we're doing and what everyone in all the branches that's involved in polyad is doing. Um, I think you know, we've been trying in North Brooklyn to collect more kind of like introductory texts. So we did a study group on socialism seriously, which is like an introductory text to just basic socialist ideas. Um, uh, the ABCs of capitalism that's produced, I think, out of this building <laughs> the, uh, by Jacobin and Catalyst. Um, uh, those are some of the intro texts. Were there other ones we had on our list? Um, I think those were the, the main ones we had and kind of piggybacking of what you said. Um, I feel like one of the main, like one of the reasons why um, having night school and like all these uh, study groups are so great is because like sometimes when you're tackling like a, something that seems hard and you're kind of struggling alongside other people and like kind of working through it, it's like sometimes it's it's really, it, there's like something really good about like working things out. Like as a group, that has been, I think, one of the really positive things to come out of um, North Brooklyn political education. So you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on all your favorite podcast app. You can find us anytime on Twitter at NYCRPM. I'm Lee Zishi. I use she, her pronouns. And today we're talking about political education and uh, the New York City DSA's night school and some of their reading groups, which is what we're going to kind of dig into next. Um, we've got three guests um, in the studio today, all part of the North Brooklyn Political Education Group. Um, so I kind of want to talk to some of you about like, what are you reading? So Jeremy, I've been told that you remember of a lot of different reading groups. <laughs> um, so what reading groups are you a part of right now and what are you reading? Uh, well, so right now I've been sometimes going to um, 
Lower Manhattan has been doing a, uh, I think it's, what do they call it, like an advanced strategy group, something like this. And they've been doing kind of short readings that are at a certain like level of, um, are not meant for introductory work, basically. But they've done readings on social democracy, like from a, a book from the 80s called Social Democracy as a Historical Phenomenon, and a recent article on the Democratic Party and from a Socialist Register and kind of the difficulties the left has had with the Democratic Party, why uh, it's been so tough for leftists to change the Democratic Party. So I've done that group. I've done, like, I was one of the founders of NYU YDSA, and we did a Capital Volume 1 study group. So that was, you know, that was the big book. Um, and we did it over the summer, and it was a lot of fun, actually. We said we were going to make T-shirts, but didn't, but did make it cover to cover. Um, uh, in North Brooklyn, we've had reading groups, um, like I said, on Socialism Seriously. We have one going now on Capital City that... Maybe someone else can talk about because I didn't go to the first one. Um, we've done on uh, Harvest of Empire. We did on Hammer and Ho um, about uh, Alabaman communists, uh, communists in Alabama in the 30s. Um, what else? Fear City. Oh, Fear City, yes. <laughs> so we've had a lot in North Brooklyn, which I think you know is a testament to our organizers, our political education, and our branch that just wants to learn and is interested in, in these matters. So, and, and I guess we think of the reading groups as places where you can do kind of a deeper dive. Um, so night school, you know, I think there's like, if you're just first starting to get to know socialist ideas, then there's night school, which is kind of a, a longer program and still like introductory, but a little deeper. And then reading groups are kind of more specialized, specific to different topics. Yeah, that was kind of, you know, my next question. Like, you know, I know my mom's in like a book club and she gets together with the ladies in her neighborhood <laughs> and they drink a bunch of wine and they kind of read very like entertaining books. So like, how is this like different than that? And kind of like, what are the benefits that you've seen um, either personally or from other people about being a member of a, of a reading group? Hmm. Uh, it's... Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's just like part of, I feel like, my way of life on the left. I've been doing it for so long now. Um, I think, you know, maybe there should be more wine. But um, <laughs> the uh, I think, you know, I think it's a place where people develop a common understanding. People come from kind of all over. They get to go more deeply into a, a topic or a matter of concern. Um I think, yeah, we've often seen, I mean, like Ben was saying about the night school, we've often seen it turn into people from the reading groups become more involved in other aspects of DSA, feel more confident in the campaign work they're doing. Um, like Ava was saying, there's just this collective effervescence. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. when we did um, Harvest of Empire, I remember I facilitated one of the sessions. Um, Harvest of Empire is a really a good book that I'd also recommend. Um, uh, about the history of Latinos um, in the U.S. Um, and even though, like, it's not explicitly leftist, um, there's still, like, a, you can read it from a leftist perspective. It's kind of more progressive, I would say. But, I mean, it's not really, yeah. Um, and even after that, sessions, like, people kind of linger after, too. Um, and people kind of, like, discussion is over, and we have two hours um but after that, people kind of just like, you know, you keep on having these conversations and like sometimes you'll have people email you. Like I facilitated a session and I had one member be like, hey, like this was really interesting. Like I want to learn more. 
um, and also like emailing you further and like you can kind of I think that's the benefit of kind of just like reading like together and you know you'll have people recommending other readings that you hadn't learned about so it kind of like everyone has so much knowledge and I, I think it's like a really important part of like all of these like reading groups and night school is just like also like learning from each other like not from like a you know like a prescribed syllabus or like a teacher in school it's kind of like a sharing of ideas a socialist sharing you know yeah. not a hierarchy of this is the information you have to learn it and then you go down the rabbit hole and you can never you know live your life just blissfully enjoying capitalism again <laughs> i mean i do that the capitalism the, the capital volume one reading group i do think it is sort of like that like that book and there are some books like that where it's just like you don't think quite the same way after you're done with them like and you had these maybe impulses or intuitions, but you didn't kind of see how they fit together in a more systematic way. So it's like, okay, I get why, even though capitalism is always dynamically evolving technologically, it still has these like incredibly, you know, these forms of exploitation, people wearing diapers, you know, in Tyson um, on the factory lines that one, you know, seem to have nothing to do with how supposedly advanced it is. Like, how did those things happen? How is it so, on the one hand, seemingly progressive and also so regressive? And, and you know, Capital Volume 1, like, really just digs quite deeply into how those things go together. And I think, you know, we have, we just look around us in the world and we have a sense that they kind of both are true of this society and then you kind of deepen your understanding you're like oh wow I can't really see things in the same way again <laughs> um. Um, Ben as Jeremy mentioned um, one of the reading groups right now is reading Capital City by Sam Stein uh, can you give us a little brief synopsis of that uh, yeah so I haven't finished the book yet I've only gotten through the first uh, two chapters two and a half chapters um, but yeah, it's a book that's written from the perspective of urban planning, which is uh, basically in the center of uh, the capitalist um, value accumulation process here in New York City and other urban areas. Um, Sam is making an argument that um, that we've transitioned from uh, manufacturing uh, centric capital uh, production as a primary engine of capitalism to uh, more of a real estate-centric model. Um, Yeah, and uh, talking about how that looks from the perspective of a city planner and the kind of contradictory um, choices that city planners have to make in order to, um, on one hand, try to make their cities better places and on the other hand um kind of pulled along in the current of capital whether they want to or not uh but i haven't gotten to the you know next two sections so <laughs> I, I yeah but sam is gonna yeah sam will come to our reading group uh this coming week and we'll be able to ask him some questions and i think it's great when we can actually get the authors to come and speak to us because you know they know the material best and there's a lot that may not actually have made it into the book that they are able to share with us um, in that form. So I'm excited for uh, this next session. Yeah, why was that book chosen? Or when, like, what's kind of the process of choosing like what, what y'all are gonna read? Uh, we don't have a very formal process. We just have a bunch of people who show up to the North Brooklyn political education meetings and um, various books are 
suggested, and then people seem to be really excited about one or another, and that's basically how all of our books have been figured out. Also, you know, what, it helps to know that the author is around and easy to get hold of. So that was true for Sam. That was uh, true for uh, Capital City. I forget the author of, of that one. Fear yeah. City. Fear uh, City. Kim Phillips. Uh, right. And, um, and some other books that we've, we've read, too. And um, Eva, in addition to your work with the history of decolonization, um, can you tell us about some ways you've helped other caucuses and working groups in the past as a member of political education? Um, well, what, what, I'm sorry, could you? Yeah, just like any other work, um, you know, in addition to, you talked a lot about the history of decolonization, um, just other work with other working groups or caucuses that you've done with political education. Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm also part um, of the Emerge Caucus, um, which is a local caucus um, within DSA. Um, and right now we're kind of also working on putting together a kind of a reader that we would like to put out um, with some um, and like kind of putting. We have a website um, with our uh, points of unity um, that we all agree with. Um, so, like, we are working on kind of putting together this reader, um, kind of explaining all these points of unity more in depth. Um, and so we put together, like, one of the pamphlets that we've put together um, is about, like, abolitionist organizing. Um, so, like, what does, abol like, abolitionist uh, abolitionism mean um, in practice? Um, what does, you know, what does that look like in terms of, like, no new jails um, and kind of decarceration? Um, so we're kind of working right now on getting all of these, like, kind of intro um, uh, like in introduction, like kind of introductory readings, like all these, like you know, um, yeah, I don't know how to explain it very well. Uh, but so, for example, like we have um, uh, one of our other uh, points of unity is um, for a communist horizon. So, like, what does a communist horizon look like in practice? Um, so that's also like some of the work that I'm doing um, within Emerge. That's great. You're listening to Revolution Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on all your favorite podcast apps. You can go to um, Simplecast um, and you look up Revolution Per Minute. We have a lot of episodes on a lot of the different topics that we've kind of been briefing on today. You know, this history that then DSA organizes around. Um, but we have about 15 minutes left of the show, so we want to open up the lines to our callers. You know, maybe you have some questions about um, becoming a literate socialist or you know questions about the political education behind the work we're doing so if you want to call in the number is 212-209-2877 again that number is 212-209-2877 we would uh, love love to hear from you um, and um, kind of, I have a question for you all, like, as you're kind of building this material, I mean, a lot of it is, I don't know, like, have you ever had, like, good examples where you can, like, really see it taking hold and people, like, understanding something differently and then putting that to practice and, and, and organizing? Hold on, make sure the next caller, okay? Um, well, I would say that um, we had that with um, socialism, seriously, that we had. Hold on, make sure 
um, when so socialism seriously um, it's written by a member of what was formerly ISO um, the author's name is Danny Catch um, so I had a, a good comrade of mine his cousin was kind of socialism curious um, so he came to our reading group and he like read socialism seriously he said he like read it in an hour and then after that he was like he works in tech and he's like I will never be able to like look at my workplace the same way again and like <laughs> he was like I've gone down this rabbit hole so I was a really cool like example of he was just like literally like his mind was blown he was like I need more <laughs> and now he's an active member of Central Brooklyn so that's really rad yeah I mean I guess I would say um like some of the people who've come, like we've, we've had a few also stories with night school and other things where people have kind of come into it through political education. They've been like, what is this socialism thing? I don't know if I'm ready to join, but I'm interested in learning more. And then they join. And for me, I mean, the joining is great, but also that they feel confident enough to go out canvassing because they feel like they have a kind of basic understanding of like what socialist values are. Like, I mean, you know, sometimes people, I think in, in study think that like, the goal of like theory on the left is to make things more complex. And actually like, I think we're successful. I mean, the world is complex, so you got to think, but like, I think the, the, the work we do is successful. And I think I've, I've heard from people saying they feel that way when you feel confident enough in your ideas that you can then go back out and speak to ordinary working class people about capitalism. I think there's also something about learning history and theory that, is uh, inspiring to people. Um, there's a lot of disillusionment and hopelessness out there, especially uh, among people our age who just feel like um, there's nothing that can be done. And when you you understand how um, our system, how capitalism works, how our state system works, um, how the economy uh, works, you and how other uh, other people in other times have um, tried to change that and been more or less successful in doing that, you can see how that might be possible now. And I think it, it gives people um, you know, they, an understanding of what they're, what they're fighting for and how, what, what the horizons of their um, struggle are. Um, so I think that can be incredibly um, liberating and uh, enlivening for activists. Yeah, and let's see what our callers have to say. Uh, you are now live on WBAI. Hi, how are you? Um, I'm interested in the groups. I have to tell you a little bit about my history. I belong to DSA, CLDSOC, and was even chairperson of the New York local. It's interesting you talked about Agendi. I left because of a disagreement I had with Michael Harrington, who thought Agendi was too radical and the Communist Party, because they wouldn't take over the copper industry, didn't invite the catastrophe that happened. And I felt it was hopeless when uh, the organization was led by people who were much older, and I didn't want to stay and be oppositional. Uh, I've been active, although I hate the word activism, because I'm sure the people working for Trump also consider themselves activists. And I think socialist and Marxian and even anarchist education, I consider myself a syndicalist at this point, is really important. I live in North Brooklyn. I've been running some study groups of my own 
one of the people is now in Kurdistan organizing with them. Two of them are in France working with the Yellow Jackets. Um, and I'm trying to consider, I'm much older than most of the people. I joined the Student League for Industrial Democracy three years before it became SDS. Uh, and there seems to be a culture of young people that I use different language, I live a different life, I don't have a connection to the Internet by choice because I want to live a slow life with time to think and talk to people face-to-face. And I would like to know how someone like me could interface with, with, with DSA or even if you want to interface with me. Well, I think we would definitely like to interface. Any, any thoughts on that? Um, well, one thing maybe, uh, yeah, you, you, I, I'd be interested in hearing if this was some of what you were thinking, but I definitely think, you know, our, our work, whether it's the more intensive study groups, which are open to DSA members and, you know, you'd be more than welcome to attend. We're also hoping in North Brooklyn to be doing um, more and more outward facing uh, events, too, that draw in more members of the community as well. So. Uh, maybe town halls around issues on Bernie Sanders's platform and campaigns, um, issues that really kind of expand. I mean, our our big idea is, you know, both intensity, but also expanding the reach of these ideas. So uh, maybe that would be one place also to plug in, because that's our hope, like to be a real public education space. When is the next North Brooklyn meeting or reading group? Uh, so the next branch meeting is on Tuesday, Tuesday night at 7. Um, the next Capital City Reading Group is this Sunday at 1. At one. Um, and the next night school meeting will be September 23rd. And where do those happen at, <laughs> if this gentleman is interested? Because I know that a lot of people can find this online, but he mentioned he is not online. Um, so the North Brooklyn meeting and I believe the night school planning meeting will be um, at Mayday Space, which is right off the DeKalb um, Avenue L or a short walk away from the Myrtle Wyckoff ML. Um, and I am not sure about the Capital City Reading Group. Capital City Reading Group is going to be at the McCann Public Library this coming Sunday at 1 o'clock in Bedstuy. All right, and so we have another caller on the line. Caller, you are now live on WBAI. Um, thanks for taking my call today. I was unfamiliar with your organization. Uh, it sounds very interesting, and I'll definitely be doing my, my own research. I am an activist with Extinction Rebellion NYC. Uh, in fact, we just kicked off a neighborhood group in North Brooklyn. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with us, our focus is climate ecological disaster. It's a global people's movement to uh, address the crisis that we're in. And my question, because many of the terms and things that you're, you're looking at in your own conversations, be it capitalism, uh, colonization, and so forth, these are really big parts of the conversations that we are having uh, as climate activists, because they all really fold into one another. And so uh, my question may be a little bit off topic from how you approach your own work, but I'm curious if you were, if you are looking at the subject through the lens of our current uh, climate and ecological disaster, and if the reading materials support that, if you've seen things historically, I'm, I'm just curious, 
you know, in, in my humble opinion, it's the biggest crisis of our day. Uh, so I just want to know where the group may sit in that regard and how, how if, and uh, if that conversation is a part of what you're looking at. Um, no, yeah, definitely. Um, at least I know in my work um, with decolonization, we're also um, looking at, like, obviously, um, in Puerto Rico, we had Hurricane Maria, which is one of the biggest um, climate disasters um, in the past century, I would say. Um, and so we're looking at, w I'm planning on working on um, kind of look how uh, the island can move forward. Um, the new eco-socialist groups that are starting on the island, um, the new agricultural resurgence um, from an eco-socialist lens, and also kind of looking at the growth. Um, I know that um, I believe the night school we had a session on eco-socialism. You can correct me. Um, if maybe one of you can expand a little bit more on that. But that's definitely something that um, we talk about and discuss um, in North Brooklyn political education. Uh, yeah, so DSA has a, a pretty big and active uh, uh, eco-socialist group, working group, and they are doing various projects, including uh, trying to um, make uh, ComEd a uh, public utility, and um, I, I'm not so active in that group, so I don't, I don't know that much about all the various things that they're doing. Um, but yeah, it's a big part of what DSA does uh, in general. Specifically, Night School has had a session devoted to uh, climate change, and it comes up in other sessions um, all the time. So uh, people are constantly talking about it and asking about how uh, the structure of capitalism is um, contributing to uh, the reason why we're unable to do anything about the uh, climate catastrophe so far, or how neoliberalism um, specifically brought that uh, world into being or helped uh, moved it along much faster than it was already moving. Um, so yeah, it, it's we are focusing on it uh, specifically in various areas, but it's it's all around the conversation. Yeah, and if you're interested in, in learning more about the eco-socialist working groups, um, public power campaign, and trying to take over Con Ed, um, we've done a couple of different episodes on that, so I would definitely check them out. Do you have something you want to add, Jeremy? Um, I was just briefly going to say, I think, you know, one thing we do in night school, too, uh, well, first of all, I totally agree that it's the crisis of our day and, like, all possible human life uh, is what we're talking about here. Um, and as I like to point out to my students, like, we don't know there's any extraterrestrial life, so we might be talking about all life uh, when we talk about life on this planet. Um, but uh, the, you know, uh, one thing we do sometimes is distinguish between, like, what do socialists have in common with liberals and liberal approaches to certain social problems and what, where do we differ? And I think climate change is like the climate change session was one place this came up a lot. And there's been more kind of uh, writing around this. Robert Pollan had a really good piece in the New Left Review not that long ago. Um, in the most recent issue of Catalyst, there's a piece by Matt Huber, I think, uh, just about sort of the need to transition the movement from a consumer individualist face uh, movement to a social movement that and a working class movement that makes demands on the actual causes of the destruction of our world, which are um, uh, powerful capitalists pursuing their profits as well as their luxury consumption. And so the you know part of I think what we were doing in our night school is saying we have this social problem. Socialists approach it in a specific way, which is analyzing what capitalism has to do with it, building a working class coalition 
um, and a working class movement to organize and fight and eventually overcome the crisis through the Green New Deal. Well, thank you all so much for being on and for all the work you're doing to educate people so they can get out there and organizing. Uh, You've been listening to Revolutions Per Minute. If you want to find the next reading group meetings, uh, you can check out the New York City DSA events calendar to learn more at www.socialist.nyc. This has been Revolutions Per Minute, and we'll talk to you all next Tuesday.